Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Oh my goodness, here we are again, third time in a row, second time on the channel. I did two other shows today to sort of catch up. We kind of missed last week, we missed streaming evil live show proper on wednesday it was my it was not my birthday it was the day before my birthday it was thanksgiving eve and things were were crazy and then on thursday we skipped sinful celluloid because it was thanksgiving it was my birthday and a third thing occurred that i'm going to tell you all about so i am a part of another community the indie horror filmmaking community, kind of. Those are other circles that I kind of run in, I guess is the best way to just sort of describe it. And one of those filmmakers is also a festival director. And his name is Steven. He's a wonderful guy. And he's not watching this. But if he was, he would know that I think he's a wonderful guy. And, oh, Thank you. Misfit Medic is wishing me a happy Hanukkah. Thank you very much. Hey, Droid, how you doing? I'm back again. Third, third day in a row. Third third show in the day, I mean. Um, what's going on, Robbie? So on, on Thanksgiving, my friend Stephen, film festival director, he has a film festival called the Sick and Wrong Film Festival. And last year we did something called the 72-hour debacle. What does that mean? It means that from... The beginning of 72 hours to the end of 72 hours you have 72 hours to do this you have to write you have to come up with an idea you have to write a story and you have to shoot it edit and upload this this idea this story thing uh to a server and then the the there's an exhibition of all the the films and what's going on room work um there's an exhibition of all the films and so we did hey chris how are you um we did a film and last year and it was a lot of fun it was an eight minute film you could watch it on this channel right now uh it's called beyond the green hole and that's yeah we made that in 72 hours actually it was 70 hours start to finish just a a ton of fun i i can't even tell you what it is i love filmmaking and i love just getting out there and getting creative and making something. Well, there was talk from, you know, other filmmakers um, in the circles that I run in about doing a feature length film in 72 hours, which is just, you know, if you don't know anything about film production, the idea of doing a feature length film is absolutely in 72 hours is absolutely ridiculous. It's just not really feasible in any any mean by any means. And so we kind of had this idea we're going to do it and that kind of fell apart. And then I don't know what came over me about 24 hours before the festival was supposed to start, the debacle was supposed to start. I decided with without any idea, without anything, I just said, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to make a feature length film. I have this little kernel of a thing. And so basically we came up with the idea. And here's the, the last part that I didn't tell you about, just like any kind of 48 hour film film competition there are two elements that we don't know about, which is kind of how like you prevent people from, I guess, trying to make it outside of the time window because it's a time window. It's like a marathon. It's like a marathon, but with filmmaking. And basically, you know, to prevent people from maybe doing something outside of the window and delivering it, there are there is a tone and a prompt that has to be issued along with the whatever idea you come up with. And so mine were ravenous and a the other one was um, a sex act from a very old text, 
Those were the, my two prompts. And so I set out and I made a feature length film. I don't know how it happened. I only slept eight hours and 72 hours. Only, and somehow we made this film and it was crazy. Not only did we make the film, we then drove to New Jersey and this is when the film really started to just fall apart. I mean, it was just getting really sort of, uh, it just got really long in the tooth. Like we were just really running out of ideas and stuff. We go to New Jersey to see Morning Noise do their reunion. And I'm like, I'm going to somehow incorporate this into the movie. That's what I'm going to do. Because originally I wasn't going to go. I was like, there's no way I can go and, and get back. And I'm, especially if we're going to do this grand undertaking. And <laughs> we totally did it. Me and my my constituent, we drove down. Yes, I agree. It, it, a 72-hour filmmaking spree, anything can happen. And Robbie, you are right. It was a very fun night. We drive down to Dingbats uh, for Steve Zing's Black Friday Bash, and we see all these people, some of which we had just seen at the VFW show. We made a whole video about that. Check that out. Um, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was a ton of friggin' fun, man. Ton of friggin' fun. Um, and we end, I ended up completing, the goal was complete. We shot a feature-length film. And here's the thing. For those of you who are familiar with Jurassic Park, and the notion of Dr. Ian Malcolm, the chaos mathematician, played by Jeff Goldblum brilliantly, saying, "You didn't. Your scientists didn't stop to think if they should. They they were so busy wondering if they could. They didn't stop to think if they should. And that's the ultimate re realization I have with this exercise, is that I absolutely should not have done this. Absolutely no reason to have done this. Did it, but there was no reason to do it." I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, is it a mess? Yeah, it's a little messy. Uh, the, the, I'd say the first half is a lot stronger than the second half. We were really just trying to get to that finishing line, and it just gets really sort of, you know, falls apart. What's up, Sherm Smoke? How you doing? We got Chris Corkum in the comments. How you doing, Chris? Yeah, 72 hours or even less than, less than Ed Wood numbers. I, I agree. We, uh, it's not too hard to outwood wood, but you know, um, yeah. And, and the, yeah, the black Friday bash was a lot of fun. Very cold. It was very cold. Um, but it was good. Um, Steve Zing sang who killed Marilyn with his band Mara's drug. And, uh, I did gang vocals with, uh, Joe, Joe Vasta, me, we did some gang vocals with Steve Zing. So that was fun. And it was caught on video somewhere. I'd love to see that. I, I bet it's a lot better than the Some Kind of Hate <laughs> from the Lodi VFW show. That was, uh, that, was, that was tough. That was tough. But we did the best we could. In any case, what am I here with you? What am I bringing to you here tonight? And by the way, you will notice, too, that I, I've changed my overlay. We are now powered by riotstickers.com. And for the next six months or so, um, you are going to hear all about that for every show because that's what we're doing. No, um, I, there'll be a small section. I'm going to try and be uh, a lot more structured with the show. Okay, that's that's the plan. That's the plan. There he is right there. There's Riot Stickers right then and there. Um, we'll, we'll do that little spiel. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start my timer right now. See, I'm trying to be more organized. Boom, timer has started. Okay, so welcome to the show. Now, some of you remember we did a sort of like a series on Jerry only. Now, this is really, I mean, guys, we do nerdy misfit shit on here, but this is just like so beyond like the 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 level of detail. Basically, what we do is we compare, we've compared and contrasted the different interviews of Jerry only throughout the years and how his sort of like how his feelings and his sort of like POV on certain things have, have evolved and changed from what it was when he was in the original Misfits to when he brought his own version of the Misfits back to the more modern version of the Jerry only Misfits. And today's, today's continuation of that, and we're calling this maximum Jerry only. Okay. It's taken from a maximum rock and roll interview that happened two years after the ugly things. Number 12. Now, this is real insider baseball. We're going to do it. So 
everybody knows the pus head the pus head glenn danzig interview is like the gold standard of trying to understand anything about this band from like a historical standpoint because it's it's glenn in glenn's own words uh, uh very disarmed just doing his thing you know what i mean just really getting into the you know nitty-gritty uh with with some exaggerations and embellishments as jerry only does from his side of things as well um i would say that the ugly things number 12 interview from 1993 is the equivalent is the jerry only equivalent of that glenn danzig pusshead interview so that's the that is the super inside baseball approximation i am trying to put here um sherm smoke says he listens to the pusshead the pusshead interview often it's a great interview i like to revisit it every couple of years the last time when i was doing 1979 a year of horror business i was i was knee deep in that in that interviews in that interviews but just knee deep um what's up carpetbagger back again both uh dave and carpetbagger with with me earlier when we were talking about the beatles it was awesome we did a whole thing about the beatles uh try to be a little bit more participatory at the comments here although maybe not because we're trying to get through this interview um it's going to be split up across four parts because it's just way too long and i really don't want to do those long stretches those long swaths it's just too much man it's too freaking much so in any case the uh, if the ugly things the ugly things interview is absolutely the equivalent of the pusshead interview for jerry only and you know he describes in this interview which i found fascinating that you know every week they would meet and talk on the phone, him and Mike Stacks, the guy who did the interview with him. And somewhere there's an audio tape of that. And who knows if it was edited for clarity, but it's probably hours and hours and hours long. Um, and, you know, maybe the Pusshead interview tape is even longer too. And all we got is those are those three hours. You know, who knows? Who knows? So let's dive into it. This is from... This is the uh, Jerry only interview, Maximum Jerry. So this, okay, so here's the other thing too. So we were the reason why I, I bring this up, I brought that up is because it's mentioned in this interview. They talk about the Ugly Things interview, which happened two years prior. So this is 1995. So where are we folks? So in the Ugly Things interview, Jerry only is still locked in a court battle with Glenn Danzig. They have not gotten the legal right to use the name. They have not received any royalties yet for you know all the misfits 77 to 83 stuff they're still kind of like christ the conqueror -y, or more christ the conqueror -y maybe than say misfit -y, you know what i mean or somewhere in between the two i guess right on some level uh but i think probably by 93 he was you know he's he's eyeballing that that prize that misfit prize i mean they're in in a lawsuit battle fighting fighting for that or at least that's part of the settlement you know, maybe there was more about a fight over publishing and that was the way they settled it. I don't know. We'd actually have to sit and look at the court case, which might make for a great episode in the future, um, but not right now. But what we do need to just quickly take note of to contextualize what we're about to look at here is the fact that this is Jerry only now after winning that lawsuit or settling that lawsuit. He's gotten paid, he's got the Misfits name, and he's got a new band that he is playing under the Misfits name with, right? That is where we're at. Not only that, Static Age is gonna come out at some point in the near future, and so is the box set. They haven't been released yet, but they are going to be released, you know? Um, so, and things are, are cooking with the Misfits. You know, they're at the very beginning stages I don't know if they've already started recording Famous Monsters yet or not, but they're like some or no, not Famous Monsters, uh, American Psycho. But there's there, there's something there's something brewing. So there might be a little bit of overlap between this and the ugly things, but you're going to hear there's definitely there's a little bit of variance that that is very interesting. So it's very interesting how things just really change and shift in two years, because now we talked about that first time with the ugly things interview, how Jerry only. I mean, he's very unbiased about a lot of different things. And now that's suddenly going to shift because 
Jerry only is now back with the Misfits or back with his version of the Misfits. So. All right. Enough foreplay. Let's let's take a dive. Okay. Like I said, we're splitting this up, guys. We're not doing this whole thing now. It's just too much stuff. And for those of you who are not around back when I used to read this stuff all the time, I am a terrible reader of block print like this. I, my eyeballs get lost so easily, okay? You got to bear with me. Don't get angry at me. I'm really sorry about that. It just, it is what it is. It is what it is, and that's all that it is, okay? I'm just going to do the best I can. Glenn Dan's, oh, let's take a sip of our limicello. This is limicello lacroix. Wet the, wet the gullet. Glenn Danzig and Jerry Only started the Misfits in 1977 and split up in 1983. Oh, one last thing. This is Maximum Rock and Roll. It's like a, it's an independent, you know, it has, a, it, I think its roots kind of are very based in, in, in punk rock, right? Like it's very much like in the same vein as like Flipside or something like that. It's like, it's more than a zine, but it's not quite like a like a official official magazine. Like it is an, an official magazine. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how the best. Chris Corkum, if you're here, I don't know if he he vanished or not. Chris Corkum, what is the best way to describe Maximum Rock and Roll and like Flipside and stuff? Like they're magazines, but they're also like they're like zine magazines. I don't know. I feel like they're not. It's not like a Rolling Stone. You know, I just wanted to p point that out. Um, Maximum Rock and Roll were very critical of the Misfits after the whole El Cabong incident. Um, Chris says, yes, but it was more concentrated. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's let's read it. Glenn Danzig and Jerry only started the Misfits in 1977 and split in 1983 without ever approaching the popularity that their fans knew they deserved. After the band broke up, they were discovered and their old records and memorabilia became hugely collectible. Danzig, who was the band's main songwriter, controlled the band's posthumous releases without the approval of his former bandmates. Earlier this year, a legal se settlement was reached regarding ownership of the band's name, recordings and merchandising rights and for those of you who don't know and this is what i do i interject i interject in between okay here we go um daniel says maximum rock and roll was more like a tabloid style newspaper thank you david lee says a grassroots magazine less corporate thank you i think those are all pretty accurate representations of what we're trying to say so what was the what was like essentially the settlement glenn keeps the publishing to his songs which is where all the real money was at. And Jerry gets to write, record, and tour as the Misfits. And I believe Danzig also had the right to use the name as well, but he was never going to. I don't know. Jerry eventually, you know, Jerry wasn't the only one who had the right to to, to do all that stuff with the Misfits name. It was all the other guys in the band too. Fra Frank, Franche Coma, Mr. Jim, all those guys also had those rights and they all basically Jerry consolidated everybody's rights into his own through a variety, through, through certain means. And then Jerry became the sole person who could do it. And I think for a while Doyle held the rights as well. And then Jerry eventually consolidated it further. Um, but I don't know that. I'm not sure that I'm not sure about how that all unraveled. In any case, Glenn got a really good deal. He he had Caroline pay the settlement money and he got to keep his his publishing. I mean, it was just absolute a brilliant move. Everybody I feel like everybody I mean, Danzig might not have been happy, but I feel like generally everybody walked away satisfied from this thing. As, as satisfied as one is going to be, like they had to let go of the publishing, uh, uh Jerry and Doyle and, and such. But they got what they wanted. They want. They just wanted to go back out as the Misfits. They wanted the name brand recognition for better or for worse. That's what they wanted, and that's what they got. And Glenn wanted control of his of his compositions. Um, 
Jerry only visited the Bay Area in June for promotional appearances and did interviews with three local college radio stations, KZSU, KALX, and KUSF. We thank everyone at those stations, especially KZSU on the campus of Stanford University for their assistance in providing this interview. Uh, that's This is from Mel uh, Chiplowitz. Chiplowitz, I don't know. Uh, this interview was originally broadcast. So this was a broadcast interview on KZSU, June 3rd, 1995. Oh man, wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great if we had the actual recording of that? Somewhere somebody recorded that interview. It ex it has to exist. MMR. Sorry, MRR is what I said. How did the Misfits start? Now, look at the spin. This goes from, this, this is already things have changed because now Jerry, Jerry is back with, Jerry is back with, you know, his band, the Misfits, or back under the name The Misfits, and now suddenly he's sort of changed re you know he's he's reconsidering some of the history in april of 77 i ran into glenn danzig and a drummer notice how he says that uh who was a mutual friend of ours he doesn't even call him by his name manny in april 77 i ran into glenn and a drummer who was a mutual friend of ours and me and glenn met through him and formed the band and things got going Funny thing was, Glenn had a show booked before he even had a band. So within a month of getting, which is very much on brand for Glenn Danzig throughout the Misfits and even throughout Sam, including Sam Hain, the beginning of Sam Hain. Um, so that kind of that kind of makes sense. But you know, he definitely had he definitely had a, a version of the Misfits before Jerry. You know, whether you want to call it the Misfits or not. Bottom line, hands down. Jerry, the the band doesn't become the Misfits until it's not the Misfits until it's Glenn, Jerry, and Manny. That's the band. That's the beginning, right? So any you know any attempt at Glenn from Glenn's point of view, oh yeah, there was a girl before him and blah blah blah. It's all just it's all just hogwash. It's all just yeah, we were rehearsing. They're rehearsing as as the Misfits. Maybe maybe what under the name? They didn't play any shows. They weren't they weren't doing stuff. You know, it, they really become a formal band with with those three guys. I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, so he says, so within a month of getting my own guitar, I was playing a show at CBGB's Glenn sang and played keyboards. And I was playing my stock Rickenbacker that you hear on static age on the, here on the static age album that he had gotten for Christmas, December of 76. So the year before he had gotten that as a present at 17 years old, um, we weren't visual at all. We didn't have our real famous monsters look that we sport today. Our drummer was a drunk jazz guy. It, he's not even, he refused to name Manny by name. Like, it's so crazy to me. Um, it really wasn't taking off. We were hanging out at CB's and Max's and places like that. We were watching bands like the Ramones and Blondie and other bands beginning to ignite. Me and Glenn kind of looked at each other and, and said, I think we need a guitar in this band. A buddy of mine, Frank, a.k.a. Franche Coma, uh, who we just saw on Friday at the at Steve Zing's Black Friday bash. I hadn't seen Frank in 10 years. It was the first time I actually saw him face to face. We'd spoken several times, but I hadn't seen him in person. So it was very nice to see Frank. Uh, and I met Pat, his son, Pat, Pat Licata. Shout out to Pat. Um, I was playing basketball with Frank. He said he was playing basketball with Frank in high school. Frank's actually pretty tall. He's a tall guy. Franche Coma's tall. He was a year older than me was playing and he was playing guitar the thing was he didn't know any songs and he's been playing guitar for years i went up to him and i said if anybody's going to play this new misfit stuff it better be someone who doesn't know anything else because we don't want free bird riffs in the middle of our new band frank played this wood colored explorer it was pretty funny our static age album was recorded eight months after our first show so we kind of grew it so that's not is that true hold on the april yeah, I guess so. Right. It would be in January of 78. Our Static Age album was recorded eight months after our first show. So we kind of grew into our image real quick. 
the music just totally exploded and we came up with this album in just nine months and it's all our classic tunes we took the album around and nobody on the planet wanted to put out this album and it really freaked us out because this album was great you see you'll see wait till this album comes out because it's finally coming out years and years and years later what's going on what's going on chris welcome to the stream years and years and years later static age does come out and it's possible because of a mix down tape that frank lakata had franchicoma had this tape in a safety deposit box and that is what they used or that's what they were able to use for for static age this this was recently brought to my attention by i think russell casualty shout out to russell that the song in the doorway wasn't even a complete song it was two half takes that's right in the doorway wasn't even a complete track they basically had to marry the two takes together to get it to be one song which blows my mind hey now exhumed corp 666 hey now hey now um hey now so so where were we? We were, where were we? We took this album around and nobody on the planet wanted to put it out, but it really freaks out because it's this really great album. You'll see, right? Because it's just it's going to be coming out. It hasn't come out yet. You'll see. Wait till this album comes out, and I'll bet that it will outsell any of the Misfits albums that were out so far. Teenagers from Mars was on the Static Age album, and if you listen to the old Misfits stuff, we always did Teenagers and Children in Heat together, which is true. If you listen to the ending of Teenagers, that that's from their live set. The ending of Teenagers goes right into Children in Heat, and that's how they recorded it for that session. But even in the 90s, you know, it's like, whoa, wait, there's another version of Teenagers from Mars, and it's not my favorite version. I prefer the horror business version, personal preference. I just think it's a better, snottier, it's faster, it's more aggressive, it just has a better sound to it. Um, but that song, that was like an alternate version of Teenagers from Mars that was like kind of like kind of lost <laughs> it wants me to sing this corrosion by sisters of mercy um that's really funny i'm not gonna do it <laughs> that's a great song though by sisters of mercy so <clears throat> excuse me in any case he's talking about how they did children in heat and tangers from mars together we always did do we all we'd always do ghouls night out and horror hotel together it's a given Wow, Ghoul's Night Out in Horror Hotel were also done together. I have to tell that to Russell. We were talking about that the other day. Uh, you go from Static Age into TV Casualty without thinking about it. So these songs were all kind of paired up. I don't know, Robbie, are you still there? I don't know if Robbie's still here, but we were literally talking about this on the last episode. It's amazing to see that, that, there's, something, uh, that there's something to that. I'm actually going to screenshot this right now um for those guys because i know they will appreciate it okay in any case where were we um so teenagers was put on the static age album and children wasn't even written yet wait a minute hold on let's go back think about that for a second it was put on this teenagers put out on the static age album and children wasn't even written yet makes sense the teenagers on here is the original take then after that bobby Steele and joey image had joined the band and since this album didn't come out and we'd already put out the bullet ep we needed to put out something on plan nine to keep moving so we put this album on the shelf and we went into the studio with real cheap money and blew out horror business and on the back you have teenagers teenagers from mars and children in heat which is the first take of children but the second take of teenagers so the static aid version of teenagers has been sitting in a safety deposit box in a safe deposit box in hackensack for 17 years and that's frank all thanks to frank lakata um Oh, 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 I thought you were talking about when you were saying, hey, now, I thought you were doing the I thought you were talking about Howard Stern because Howard Stern always goes, hey, now, I didn't know you were talking about uh, uh, Sisters of Mercy. Um, oh, that's so great. I'm glad you discovered Robbie via this show. That makes me happy. Robbie's doing great things, man. He's just growing and growing. I'm, I'm very, very happy for him. Very proud. Um, what's up, mom? 
Mom, you got to turn on guys. If any, if any of you want to know when I go live and I go live very often, like you, you got to turn on the notifications or figure it out like mom is trying to. Robbie, did you see that thing? Robbie is still here. Robbie, did you see that thing about the uh, all the groupings of horror business, teenagers, teenagers from Mars with children in heat, uh, horror hotel and ghouls night out and and static age and TV casualty? They were definitely thinking they were definitely pairing everything up. That's interesting. Um, MRR asks, wasn't there a Teenagers from Mars single where only five copies were pressed? Okay, here we go. Let's see what he says. We were going to make a single of it with Static Age on the other side. We went to this place where they cut acetates and we had five cut. We didn't like the way they sounded when we listened to them on the turntable. We cut out these clear purple acetates. One of them has, wow, they're clear purple. One of them has teenagers on both sides and we didn't like the way it sounded. So we thought maybe we shouldn't put this out after all. People say there is a horror business album with only five copies, but that's not true. I think it might be a, a scam to sell you guys up for a bootleg. MMR, sorry, MRR says your bass playing really stands out on the yet unreleased Static Age album he brought with the original recordings of Teenagers and We Are 138, etc. Jerry only says, this was a stock Rickenbacker. If you listen at the time I was playing with my fingers instead of using a pick, what you'll hear is a real clear, crunchy type sound. Huh. At the time, he says, at the time I was playing with my fingers. Yes, he used to pluck. Instead of using a pick, what you'll hear is a real clear crunchy type sound and it stands out this was the early days before the skull and all the flash i was playing bass when i was a senior in high school and th that was in 1977 i used to play all kinds of sports in high school and as my senior year kind of unwound i just kind of said to myself maybe i should just enjoy the last couple of months i got in school and a buddy of mine and i were talking about bands one day and he was talking to me he was talking me into playing a guitar he said oh you should really play if you love music you're missing the boat i said i said that after football and all that stuff i'm going to kick back a little he said then play the bass because there's only four strings and you won't have to learn all these fingering positions the music store loaned me a dan electro which was a plastic bodied piece of crap i took some lessons on that and i finally got my guitar at the end of march which is, I don't know, I thought he got a bass for Christmas in December. That, that There's also supposedly that as well. Um, there is a great version of Robbie doing In the Doorway from the, the VFW show. I, I captured his entire sound check set, and it sounds different than when I was right next to the giant speaker. Um that'll probably drop on my YouTube channel relatively soon, but it's really, it's definitely sort of a, I don't know what you would call it, a cleaner recording or, you know, there's not, it, it's like I'm standing far, I'm standing in a different position. I feel like it, it, it captures the sound a little bit differently. Um, yeah, Dan, that's what I heard too. I heard it was a late Xmas present. The bass was dot, dot, dot. I don't know. Um, in any case, I used to play all kinds of sports in high school, blah, blah, blah. I saw kickback for a little. I took some lessons on that march. Right. Um, so Maximum Rock and Roll says, it differs from Legacy on which Glenn's playing a Fender bass. Yeah, he played a Fender. Oh, slap me in the face. We're making our own guitars now. We have maple and mahogany wings on them, and they were sounding really good. We made one for Vivian Campbell from Whitesnake. So that's interesting how he rec they can recognize that he's playing a Fender on bass. Hmm. Um, using, they're using carbon graphite now. We're using real stealth technology, you know, Android-type equipment. We made the prototypes and wait until you see the new shapes we got. We've been hiding them from the public because we want to make sure we got all the patents on them because this is the new regime as far as music goes. It's moving along. We're having a great time with our music and artwork and equipment. So, I mean, that's what's happening now. They start to, they're starting to friggin' their, their Christ the Conqueror project doesn't take off, but it's a great songwriting and guitar making 
workshop. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's okay. My 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 grammar is is not that great, Daniel. Rick Rick says Rick James says I know it's the Graves era, but I have one of the blue Dig Up Her Bones single vinyl. Very cool, by the way. Robbie's cancer cover cancer slug covers are the best. Um, I have that vinyl as well, and I don't know what to do with it because. I don't think it's going to sell for what it could have sold for a few years ago. And I really should have just sold it back then. Um, Winston, glad to have you here. Finally catching a live show. That's great. Uh, Jody says precision or jazz should honestly be the only real question. In any case, in any case, they were, yeah, they were doing a, they were doing this, this song and guitar workshop project that was going to be a band that never really took off, you know, but they, they were they were planning. They had big things for Christ. They had big things planned for Christ the Conqueror. It never materialized. Then they end up doing the Misfits stuff instead. And now they're using these new guitars. We all know about uh, Jerry's Devastator bass and Doyle's Annihilator guitar, and that's where they come from. Um, Maximum Rock and Roll asks, "Why didn't Static Age come out when you recorded it in 1978?" Jerry only says the New York scene at the time was television, Patty Smith, you know, all this artsy fartsy crap. However, they were just as artsy fartsy with their friggin, you know, piano bass drum setup. You know, I mean, it's very again, if you listen to the early misfit stuff, it's very doors influenced, very doors influenced. Um, the album that we did was pure guts and had this very raw New York punk type sound to it. Talking about Static Age, talk about adding the guitar. The guitar changes everything. Uh, we played it for very many different record companies and they just blew it off. Nobody wanted to take that kind of a risk and put it out on the boards. By the time we got the Walk Among Us album, we figured it was better to go with the Walk Among Us stuff, which was new for us. We felt it was always stronger for us to go out with the material we were working on at the time. So Static Age kind of got lost in the sauce. That totally makes sense. And again, the Misfits are, again, I, I make these comparisons all the time, but it's kind of true. In the same way, the Beatles were not only prolific, but they never looked back. They always just were like on to the next thing. And the Misfits were the same way. For a punk band that was only around for six or seven years, I mean, they put out they put out a lot of material, man. I mean, they were constantly releasing stuff. There was stuff that was always coming out. You know, it wasn't like we put out an EP and then we wait a whole year and then we do something else. It's just like there's there was stuff, there were a lot of and these are remember these are independent releases. It's not easy, folks. Kind of crazy when you think about it. So they so they want to focus on the Walk Among Us stuff. You know, that, so that's what they did. Um, you know, at the same time, remember, too, the band has changed, right? The band has changed. The They don't have the same exact sound. You know, they did a lot of Static Age material with Bobby Steele and Joey Image. But, like, now with Doyle in the band and Googie in the band, like, yes, they're still doing some of those Static Age songs, but a, a bunch of them go by the wayside. And they just sort of keep moving on. It's like with different personnel and, and newer songs why do they want to dwell on the static age material at that time? I mean, Glenn's not, Glenn decides not to focus on it or re really even think about it until the legacy of brutality. And he's like, Oh man, I have half an album here, you know, because the misfit stuff was selling during, during Sam Hain. It was a good, it was still, it was good. It was a good bargaining chip for Glenn too, right? It's a bargaining chip. You know, he's, he's going to catapult Sam Hain on the back of, of the misfits, which makes sense. You know, you build something up for seven years it, it fizzles out and now you're starting something new and you need some kind of credibility. So the misfits were Glenn's credibility and legacy of brutality is kind of like a platform for that a little bit. If you think about it like that, uh, it's a good strategy. Maximum rock and roll says all the guys and gals wanted me to ask about the one and only time the misfits played in San Francisco. Oh boy. Here it comes. Here comes the big, this is the big to do. Oh, we were here before that. Um, and then the editor says the Misfits played San Francisco twice in 1981. The first was a poorly attended show at the on Broadway upstairs from a black flag show at the Mabuhay 
gardens and i believe that's when they recorded some of what would be used for evil live and henry rollins sings vocals or growls really on uh we are 138 the opening act was a showing of the little known film plan nine from outer space as the film ended the band literally burst through the screen as they launched into their set here you go henry rollins came on stage and joined the band in an encore of we are 138 but it's really just henry going a day later the misfits sold out the sound of music playing with toxic reasons and pope dot 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 Pope Paul Pot, say that five times fast. Pope Paul Pot. The Elite Club show a year later was the promotional tour for the Walk Among Us album, which was set up by their record label and was badly promoted. Following Sid Terror's Undead and the Flesh Eaters, the Misfits played five songs before being forced on st- off stage. So the Misfits did play with Sid Terror's Undead. How about that? Sid Terror wants to take credit for the Devil Lock. But by then, the Misfits have a full devil lock already. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Maximum Rock and Roll says, what about the infamous Elite Club show where Doyle hit a kid in the head with his guitar? Jerry only says, yes. What about it? Well, a total mismanagement on all levels. You know, the thing is, you don't want to go to the shows where people get hurt and things go wrong. You try to avoid it and you try to keep the level where people aren't going to get hurt. And it and can take it to extremes and still have a good time without drawing any blood. There are those few times where those where things like that happen. We don't promote that. We don't look forward to that bad karma. Maximum Rock and Roll, who again, like totally like lambasted the misfits over this stuff, is not backing down and asking, what about the kid getting smacked over the head? Jerry only says, well, the thing was, we were playing a place that had a bunch of kids that were in all day and they were underage and they were serving beer to them. They were getting really rowdy and they were about seven bands before us. They were throwing a lot of full cans and stuff. We don't come to a show. We don't come to a show to be the target practice, to be target practice. We're not roadkill. We're not going to stand there and be abused. There was no security and we were our own security. One thing that can be said, no matter how much in the wrong the misfits might be for this situation, depending on who you speak to, absolutely right about this. There absolutely should have been security at the show. There should have been a buffer. They are the performers. They are the entertainers. They should not have to deal, even if it's a punk rock show, they should not have to deal with the annoyance of kids throwing beer cans hazard i should say the hazard of throwing beer cans and he says we're not going to stand there and be abused there was no security and we were our own security even jello biafra jumped sides on us soon after but that's pretty much the deal yeah jello biafra was just just absolutely disgusted with the misfits after this whole situation we've talked about the situation at great length here basically bottom the bottom line is they um, were playing on stage. Beer cans are thrown. Googie jumps in. He's fighting. Um, Rocky starts fighting. Schlock, the brother, the other Kaiafa brother. Um, they're all, it turns into a, a giant melee. They're trying to play songs. They go back to playing. It happens again. Um, depending on who you talk to and what the situation is, Doyle basically bashed the kid in with his guitar and you know i've also heard from very reliable sources that doyle wasn't trying to bash kid he was trying to corral him with his guitar and then there are varying accounts of you know this kid was like a really small 14 year old kid there's urban legends about him pulling wooden splinters really long wooden splinters out of the back of his skull like six months later or something like that um, you know, there's, there's, you know, that the, there was just that there was blood everywhere. Everything stopped. The whole room stopped. Everybody looked at the misfits, you know, they had to retreat. They ran backstage and they had to hide from the, the, the mobs that were forming with Jello Biafra at the head because Jello Biafra was there, you know, and eventually they were able to, uh, escape. Ah, crazy situation. Crazy, crazy situation. Maximum Rock and Roll asks, so Doyle is your little brother of five years? Jerry says, yeah. He joined the band in 1980 when he was 16. He was ready to play with us before Bobby when he was 14, but my mom would not let him go to high school and be in a band. I told her we had potential, but she just didn't buy it. Ha ha. So by the time Doyle was 16, we started doing these tours 
where we started coming out here during the summer. When Doyle got out of school, we would try and go on the road and get back before school started. Um, maximum rock and roll. Okay, we're going to take a, a, a small break now to do the sponsorship stuff before we continue on. Uh, so you may or may not have noticed right below me, you will see uh, that that this channel is now powered by riotstickers.com. And you can see right here that we have a special 50% off promo code from us. That's right. And if you go into the description of this video, you're going to see a link. You click on that link and you're going to get a phenomenal deal. What is that deal? Let me tell you about it. Let me just tell you about it real quick. I'm going to play this this thing. Basically, you can get 50 3-inch by 3-inch square stickers um, from riotstickers.com. I love riotstickers.com. Um, I know there are, other, there are other guys that work at riotstickers.com. They all swear by them. Riotstickers.com, they're freaking great. Really great. I've done business with riotstickers.com about 10 years ago. I was very satisfied with my riotstickers.com order. Basically, you're not going to find this deal anywhere else, you guys. It's a $59 deal that you're getting 50% off. So you're, you're only paying $29.50 for 53-inch by 3-inch stickers. Do you know how far away you can be, how you can visually see those stickers? Here you go. Here's Robbie. I know Robbie works with Riot Stickers. They're great. They really, really are phenomenal. Uh, and we're running this special promo deal. It's good for six months, you guys. But if you need stickers, and you know, maybe you're in a band. Maybe you just made a film and you want to promote it at a film festival. Or maybe you just might have a website or some really cool thing that you just want to promote. Um, go check out. Just go check out the website, ridestickers.com. Click on the link down below. Use the promo code from us. Not only are you supporting this channel, but you are also supporting the independent business run by Josh Grove, who we're going to have on the show. He's going to be a guest. We're going to learn more about ridestickers.com. So check that out. And real quick, let me let me show you the um, the video I have here. This is courtesy of riotstickers.com. And we'll get right back to our scheduled programming. Isn't that great, folks? So catchy. Droid Droid says that his band has yet to make stickers. I mean, I'm, you're really not going to find a better deal than this. This is a crazy deal. Okay, that, I'm going to I'm going to drop it for now. But you'll be hearing about this on the show from time to time. Any broadcast that's just me solo, you're going to hear me talking about riotstickers.com with the 50% off code from us. You're not going to find a deal better than that. That is a really, really good deal. And if you like die cut stickers, you can get those for $34.50. Just click the link. Check it out. Just go check out in the description, riotstickers.com. In any case, let's get back to our let's get back to our situation here. What inspired the misfits? Did you watch a lot of horror films? Generally says, well, Glenn used to and I used to work all day long. Ha ha ha. Glenn had the privilege of watching the movies. He actually wrote 99% of all the lyrics. So now he admits that Glenn has written 99% of all the lyrics. Me and my brothers always collected monster models and watched monster movies. When me and Glenn first started the band, we didn't realize that that's the image we deserved to have or really wanted. 
We wanted to try and be musicians, but as you go out and play, people don't appreciate you. After a while, you say, bullshit, I'll do what I want. Now, here's here's what's really great. They start talking about Mike Stacks, and that's from the Ugly Things interview um, from 1993. Maximum Rock and Roll says, Mike Stacks from Ugly Things Magazine is here, and he did a big interview with you. Yeah, I said, if we're going to do it, let's take our time and do it right. And they sure did. He has his chronological order pretty well set. The things he was asking me, uh, the things he was asking me were pretty much in order. As he would ask me things, a lot of things would just pop back into my head. I mean, that's what happens when you interview someone. You start to slowly jog their memory. The number one hindrance when I've tried to interview people in the past, and it's really, really tough. You you get these people that are just kind of unsure of themselves, right? They're just like a little unsure about like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to do uh, an interview. I don't really remember anything. And you have to try to like explain to them that like once they start talking, like it, like things just come, like once you start talking about like a time in your life, all of a sudden your brain starts to like, you start to recall things. They just come out of seemingly out of thin air. And it always happens with these guys. They suddenly just start remembering all these interesting details. Things get unlocked. It's really a beautiful thing to see. And so I think that's pretty cool that like things started to pop back into Jerry's head because Jerry was there the whole time. You know, I mean, Jerry is, Jerry and Glenn are the two constants at the, at the end of the day, right? Um, and he would, and Jerry says, and I would say each week we'd knock off around six months of the Misfits history. So if you do the math, that is 14 weeks. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't think they, they, do they have a 14 week conversation, you know, once a week for 14 weeks? Maybe it's possible. I think if you, I think that's just Jerry coming up with an arbitrary number, six months. I think if you sat down to do the interview all in one shot, it would have taken around 40 hours. Maybe. I mean, that would be something to see that tape, you know. Uh, Mike says, if you want to get the Ugly Things interview with Jerry issue, send me six bucks to 405 West Washington Street, number 239 San Diego, California, 92103. Maximum Rock and Roll says, the next issue of Ugly Things had an interview with Joey Image. Jerry only says, we had a lot of problems with Joey, but I'm not going to stand here and knock the guy over uh, over for you and tell you a bunch of shit that really shouldn't be repeated. It's your standard rock and roll saga of crap. For a little bit more uh, elaboration, uh, not elaboration, what's the right word I'm looking for? For a little bit more explanation, uh, if you join the Patreon that we have set up again the link the link is down below check out the patreon where we have joey image referring referencing uh and me filling in the story because a lot of it happened off screen for joey images interview joey image referencing what is being mentioned in this article but that is only for patreons not even for youtube members only for patreons can you get that uh, see that video. So check that out. Well, we got some people up in the piece real quick. We got Xander who is talking about Sharpie rocks. Sharpie riot is from riot stickers. And he is, he is here to, to agree to co-sign. We got Walter white from down under in New Zealand checking in. How are you, Walter? Um, Tim bitten also seconds riot stickers Sharpie is a class act and a real pro. I'm going to have to agree. Droid is going to consider the Riot Stickers promotion. He's going to run it by the guys in the next practice. I'm telling you guys, you're not going to find a better deal for Riot Stickers. They really are the best. Um, Slashman Execute says, It's weird to hear that Jello was against the Misfits, considering he himself was assaulted at a concert and badly. Wait, it's weird to hear that Jello was against the Misfits, considering that he himself was assaulted at a concert and badly injured. Don't know if that was before or after. Hmm. Um, you don't blame Paul. Are, are you referring to the Beatles? I don't know what Paul, who, which Paul are you talking about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jello. 
Yes, they were full. Dan, that's right. They were full, unopened cans of beer. Jody says, yes, I remember you doing a previous show about Sid Terror. What a character. Really, a character. We got Javis Bickle in the house. How are you, Javis? We haven't seen you here in a while. Hope you're well. Um, Winston Smith says, I love Legacy. I used to have no idea it was technically not Misfits, but still maybe my favorite. I don't know about that. I don't know if it's technically not Misfits. I mean, I guess it is Misfits. It's definitely Misfits. It's just Glenn trying to, like, play over stuff a little bit. Um, Frank says that Legacy apparently began the whole legal battle thing. I'm not surprised. I'm definitely, I feel like that, I feel like I've heard that before. That makes sense. It's around that time that they start coming around asking for merch and stuff, you know, not not making a, a, a big deal, not thinking of a big deal about it. Frank again saying, what's up from Philly? What's up? Xander says, it's crazy Jerry's base was a Rick, not an entry-level axe. Love it. So, I mean, he they did eventually get into like kind of like knockoffs of like Iceman and Rickenbackers because they were smashing those guitars. They were replacing the pickups. George Germain taught them how to replace pickups and that's what they would do that kind of thing um so where were we maximum rock and roll one thing i read about in the mike stacks interview is the time that you came out of the coffins jerry only says well we were doing this show at irving plaza and we built these eight foot coffins that had these lids on them we were supposed to open with Halloween and come flying through the coffins, knock the lids off and go right up in front of the stage and start playing. Now, Bobby Steele has a bad leg. He's got one leg that just does not function. And I said, wouldn't that just be, wouldn't that just stink if we got this big Halloween show planned and me and Glenn come flying out of dot, 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 our own thing. Um, I'm not saying the misfits shouldn't have had, wait, what? What? Why is this not in order? Or this isn't making sense. Coming flying out of our own thing? I'm not saying the Misfits shouldn't have been thrash-oriented in the future. I'm just saying the later releases of that nature should have been... Huh. I'm just saying the later releases of that nature should have been much more thought out. There seems to be a jump here. Is this missing a page? It looks like it's missing a flying out of what? Flying out of what? I don't know. I don't know. Um, what's going on, BMAC? We got Hot Tub Rob in the house, probably sitting in his hot tub watching the show. And we got um, some support from Xander. Xander, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, throwing you some some devil devil horns. I, I really do. I, I, I truly appreciate it all of the support here from you uh it's it is awesome um where were we well where were we is we're kind of we're kind of done that's it i'm i'm not going to continue on we're going to save this we're going to put put the bookmark that's what we did last time you know um slash man execute says the jerry bobby beef used to be so petty he makes it sound like he's a paraplegic or something. Listen, you want to know the truth is, man, Bobby Steele, for a dude who has, you know, who, who has a serious disability injury, physical disability, is a, a tenacious motherfucker who just has, through all sorts of sheer adversity, managed to be, to be a touring, working rock and roll musician, independent record, record label, and just through it all, through all the, I mean, the dude survived polio, spinal bifida. I mean, through it all, he's just still here, still, still ticking. I, I have nothing but respect for Bobby. You know, of course, yes, there's, there's a lot of bad blood there, man. There's a lot, there is a lot of bad blood. That is the, that is the honest, the honest truth to the whole situation, right? Um, but so that's where we're going to put a pin in it. If we if we have any comments, that's cool. That's that's okay. We that's fine if we have some some comments. And what I'd like to do as well, this is important to me to read off. Let me see if I can figure this out here to do it properly. Um slash says, Hell yeah, I've seen him 
rip it up on stage. Wouldn't you know all the shit he's been through? I mean, yeah, and he man, he's still got chops. He has not he has not lost any of that, any of that panache, you know? That's not that is not easy. That is really, really not easy to do. I'm trying to figure out how to how to do this here. Cause I want to shout out I want to shout out a couple of people. Cause like I said, I was gonna make everything more I was going to make everything more structured in terms of how we do these shows. A couple of things to consider coming up. There is a new video coming out um, for it. This will only be on the Patreon. So you can only watch it on the Patreon. Very important. So check that ish out if you can. Um, shit. Why is this not? This is giving me so many problems. My compute. My computer door and speaking of patreon i want to shout out and i've been really bad about this i need to shout out all of the patreons that we have currently on the channel we have melissa melissa Ber bernie i'm so sorry if i butchered your name we have i misanthrope this dude is a band and we're going to do a whole episode focusing on what he's done we have ace van johnson from la guns thank you sir truly we have rob steven James Gruesome, my friend James Gruesome, Joe Vasta, JV Bastard, uh, Benjamin Nito, Jay Horton, Dagger Love, Nullified Voices, Aaron uh, Salada, Saladana, Appetite for ATX, Crazy White Boy, Mike, Adam Harmless, Ratty, uh, John Voice of Doom, Rue Morgue, Honolulu Babylon, and Kevin Von Spur. All of you Patreons, Really appreciate all of you guys, truly. That I just want to shout you out. Try and make sure we shout out all our Patreons for every single episode. It's important. Um, keep the cause going. Keep keep all this content coming. Um, Rue says, Bobby Steele's my boy. Still kicking it after all these years. Love his guitar style. Yeah, dude. He's great. He, he does. Xander, I agree, man. He has a great guitar tone. Uh, Jerry uses thumb picks that's interesting Jer but when jerry's playing the bass is going rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> we always talk about that you know yes bobby is one tough cookie um so so that is it for this week tune in tomorrow night when we return with sinful celluloid people we have me and christopher jimenez we're going to be discussing the return of living dead one of my all-time favorite horror movies. We're going to be doing a super deep dive. We're going to go through the movie beat by beat. It's going to be uh, quite the session. So make sure to check that out. That's roughly around 9 p.m.-ish is usually when we go live. And um, I can only imagine where the conversation will go. It will be really crazy. If you're a Beatles fan, check out that Beatles thing that I posted earlier and yeah we got more patreon and youtube membership videos coming i also want to shout out that's that's another great point too also need to shout out our youtube memberships i really should just have this ready to go there's von doom there's runner dial zero and who is the there's another one there is another one we need to find their name Oh, my God. Rue, we are going to be talking so much Return of the Living Dead. It's insane. You don't even understand. You don't even understand. But, um, yeah, no, this is, you know, it's interesting. I thought it would be a lot more. There would be a lot more of, like, the same, same old stuff. And there's not. It's There's definitely, like, some variance in, in the stuff that that Jerry only is 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 discussing here which I appreciate, you know, that's not just like the same exact thing. And it's like slightly different. It's slightly different too, because now he's doing, he's doing the misfits 95, right? You got the misfits 95 rolling through rolling in. So now he's, he's sort of changing his tune about certain things. And then where's, where's Danzig at this point? Danzig is, he's still touring, might be still touring on, um, whatchamacallit on, on um Danzig 4 or Danzig 5 I'm not even sure 
not even sure. Um, that That's going to bring us to a conclusion, I guess. I can't find this thing. We'll be more prepared next week for sure. Tune in next week. We might not. It might not be part two of this. It might be something else, but we will get to part two of this. In any case, I'm so glad you you joined us. Join me tomorrow for Sinful Celluloid. I, in fact, maybe if I can get my act together, it might be a second part of that Beatles thing too. In any case, check out the Patreon. Ah, peace and air green. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. (laughs) The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents. Make it for Make it for Make it for